and welcome to Beyond the Scoreboard, the Cynics Tactics and Stats podcast where we look, have a big overview of how Celtic are playing. We also take some subscriber questions and uh, we look into other aspects of tactics and football. I'm your host Christopher Gallagher and I'm joined as always by Alan Edgar. Hello Alan, how are you my friend? I'm good, mate. I'm good. I'm looking forward to this. It's been a, it's been a quite a while actually. I think pre, pre World Cup since we last done this. So that'll be good to get a catch up. Good to get a catch up. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Christian Wolf's here as well, as always. Hello, Christian. How are you, my friend? Hello, Christopher. Second time today as well. Absolutely. Um, yes. Uh, I, I, Alan's right. I think it was uh, post Champions League, or maybe even the last game before the last game of Champions League. And since then. Celtic haven't dropped. They haven't lost a single game. I haven't lost a game. Haven't dropped a point. Oh, have we dropped a point? Uh, no, yeah. Technically, Ibrox. Yeah, Ibrox. But um, uh, this is, uh, as we say, this is the tactical kind of overview. We do obviously Christian and Graham do the review on a Tuesday, which kind of looks at um, game by game uh, what Celtic are doing. But we're going to have a kind of overview of of them. Last time we were really pretty Champions League heavy. Uh, in regards to the kind of um, uh, questions and subscriber kind of points of view. This uh, episode, it's not as Champions League focused, but it is kind of more kind of overviewed in regards to uh, where we're going to go moving forward and such. So we'll certainly touch on all of that. Uh, Before we kind of start, before we open, before we break some stuff down, Alan, Celtic, tactically, are you happy? I thought there was more coming there. No, that was it's very straightforward. Um, I am. Um, we're playing engaging, um, forward-thinking, expansive, exciting football. And I think I think the consistency at which we're doing it is something that's almost as impressive as the run that you just mentioned of, you know, not losing since, well, St Mirren, you know, quite some time ago. So... I think it has. It's been an excellent run. And I think, as Christian will probably allude to as well, it looks like a largely sustainable run. And I think on top of that, on top of the that foundation, what you've got is some, some players who are managing to shine as well and do some incredible things and do the things that people go and pay to, you know, go and see football matches for. So it's, it's been an incredible run. It's going to see a Celtic team, whether it be at home or whether you're lucky enough to get to away games, Going and watching this Celtic team at the moment is just, it's as good as it's been in many, many years. And as well as that, it's ruthlessly effective. So very pleased with that. Looking forward to chatting about it a wee bit more and looking forward to seeing more of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree on both parts. Christian, um, you know, we, we, we get a lot of your kind of uh, tactical analysis and stats analysis, but are you just enjoying watching the Celtic team play football? Yeah, but absolutely. I've obviously when we do the, the review every every week, almost to have something to talk about, unless we have to repeat ourselves. But you know, we can be a bit critical, and I think that's what you kind of end up doing with the tactical analysis. You kind of go, "Oh, this thing here didn't quite work," and so on. But I think it's always good thoughts like this to take a step back and put what we're seeing actually in context, right? Because not only is you know, we, yeah, the, the tactical difference between this season and what came before Ange Postecoglou is you know, like, as different as it can be. 
But even though we can sit every year, every week and say, okay, oh, that was maybe not working quite as we want. So that is all in the context of a season that is delivering. It's a, purely one of the best seasons Celtic has ever had, points-wise, goal-scored-wise. And I, I also think, in a sense, tactically, because the reason why Celtic, as Alan says, is so relentless and is dominating so much and even we'll come to what kind of what the models are saying and, and kind of in a way Celtic is overperforming the numbers as well, but it's all grounded in the tactical system and the belief the players have in their system. And because they have the, that belief, they executed, maybe because they're slightly scared of Ange as well, they executed again and again and again, and there's no let up. And that is why they're just so dominant. It, it's based on the tactical um outlook and style and ideas of the manager and the manager's capability to imprint that and get the players to execute it almost no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Alan, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, like to put a kind of, and I know that every manager has their own style, right? So um, distinct style and we hear Ange talk about um, how he wants us to play football and it's very framed around the idea of attacking football, right? But we had Brendan Rodgers, who was very defensive, not defensive, sorry, possession-based. Um, we had Martin O'Neill, who was very kind of that sort of old-style Bayern Munich back to front as quickly as possible, very physical. How would you describe what Ange... Po- and I know this isn't an easy question and I'm throwing it at you, but how would you describe his style in like a kind of small descriptive sentence? And I know that's hard. I've thrown that at you without even giving you an option. No, I think it's good. And I think... I think you could use a lot of words, direct, um, forward thinking. I think if I'm being entirely honest, I think the way it is, it's, it's honest. Because there is no, there's no misdirection. There's no yeah. tactical surprise. Um, and that's a luxury that very few managers have. Um, you know, we talked, I think, on the weekly about, you know, Scotland and how you approach big games and, you know, every team that Celtic face domestically, you know, Ross County at the weekend, Malky McKay will no doubt be forced to try and do something a little bit different because he's not in the position of strength that Ange Postacoglu is. But even when Ange, when the tables are turned and we approach the Champions League, Ange Postacoglu has tried to do the exact same thing that he's done domestically, that people might be critical of that. But I think honest is the way I would describe it because it is, there is a there is an honesty to it. There's a, without being, it might sound a little bit evangelical to say it, there's a purity to it, but the way he does want to play aggressive attacking football, but not disregarding the other side of the game as well. I think that's one thing I've maybe came to appreciate over the time that it's attacking football. We want to do the right things with the ball, but the players, there is no shirking the other side of the game. We aren't, uh, you know, we aren't soft at set pieces. We aren't a team that don't like to defend. To the contrary, I think we've got a lot of players that actually would be quite content playing in a team that just defends. So yeah. I think there is an honesty to it. And I don't think the one thing that opposition teams don't have to worry about of all the things they need to worry about when they play Celtic is, is worrying about exactly how we'll play. 
because there might be very little tweaks, but there's no misdirection, there's no entire changes, there's no trying to surprise managers and catch them off guard. It's just doing the same things week in, week out, and trying to do the right things and hoping, not hoping, believing that results will come off the back of that. And I think largely that 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 has been the case. So I think honesty is the is the kind of word I would I would use to describe it. Hey, Christian, what about yourself? What would you kind of frame it around? Yeah, I think it's. It is. Uh, in one sense, it's, it's the attacking side of it is 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 Ange's mantra, you know. And I think that's philosophy of keeping the ball, but you know, attacking with it. And it, and he's he's got a lot of different kind of you know things he's been talked about and how he wants to play. You know, he's he wants to keep the ball. In the team, but he's he's very relentless in that it needs to, you know, it needs to go forward and it needs to be attacking. For me, if if, if you break it down even more in terms of describe it, it's for me it's movement, right? It's 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 movement specifically of players changing positions, some players changing positions, and and how that create movements. It's movement towards very specific areas. As Alan says, there's just not a lot of surprises. You know, how many times have we talked about that specific Angeball goal, where there is a ball played between the centre back and the opposition fullback in that space? You know, the edge of the penalty box, and then a winger or somebody else coming and getting first to the ball and then passing it across. Teams must know that's coming. They must know that is one of the goals in this. But because Celtic is so drilled in it, because they're so relentless, because they now have a lot of players that really fits the system and they keep executing it, like you know what's coming, but it's so hard to stop it. And I think then because it's so overwhelming attacking-wise and also because you have to put up such a fight, especially domestically, to them up against it, it helps the defensive side as well, right? Because there's, <laughs> there's just nothing left there for, domestically for, for opponents to take it. So it's, it's that relentlessness of movement. You know where they're coming. It's just so hard to dem up. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's that pure belief in the system comes with a lot of advantages. Because if, if you play it a certain way for so long, simple fact you get really good at it. <laughs> you know how to do it, and and you end up learning how to problem solve certain things as well. But yes, I think it's that relentlessness of of movement. Uh, okay, I'm going to be the, the 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 guy in the stand, right? And I'm going to say, here's the kind of I love Ange, and I love Ange Ball, and I love how we're playing. But I do have one wee thing that annoys me. And uh, by the way, this isn't Chris Gallagher. Chris Gallagher is is playing a character. Um, but the fact is, no, because we know Chris Gallagher hates Andrew Postecoglou, so he would be shouting a lot worse. Uh, Alan, a lot Alan, worse. Alan, Alan, Alan. Look, we, we keep that behind closed doors, okay? Uh, uh, I forget uh, a hot mic situation again. Yes, uh, in adverted commas, I love Andrew Post. No, mm-hmm. um, but just the, the the thing that does, and again, we're nitpicking. We're you know we're relentless. We're playing exciting football. We're playing excellent football. But sometimes in games. Games, there are patches where we drop off. Whether that us, whether that be us being two 0 up, and the second half is a little bit we're just seeing it out. Whether that be not starting the game, but then coming into it. If, obviously, you, you must have seen that because you, you've watched the games. 
and again, we're we're looking to play the perfect game of football all the time. I guess that's where we are in regards to, you know, we are performing so well in regards to the points and performances, and we're really looking at it from that perspective of let's try and start playing the perfect games of football. So I understand that this is maybe asking too much, but is there anything that can be done with that, Alan? Why do you think we kind of drop off either either half sometimes? You know, there'll be time. I mean, even the game at Ibrox, um, sorry, the game at Celtic Park, um, the 4-0 game, and again, I'm talking about us winning 4-0. <laughs> I'm nitpicking, but that's where we are. Those kind of, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes, will Ange be happy with that or will he still be kind of pressing them to do better? It goes, but it, it's the, what year was it the, where we won the title against Rangers and we really should have absolutely shellacked them and we held it, at, I think, 3 nothing. Was that 20, 20. 2017? Yeah, yeah. Or, well, you know, Barry will be listening shouting at the exact year, date, and goal scorers at me. But it's, it's that kind of principle <clears throat> and understand it. I, I think that was, if I'm being, I think if I'm being fair, I think that is something that we've actually started to see off quite a bit. And I think as we've went on, the players, the coaches, whoever you want to allocate credit to, have got a lot better at actually making us play 90-minute games of football and actually playing throughout. I think if you think to last year, I think the standards this year are much higher um, in terms of the type of football we play. And you, you look at our, you know, our stats and I think they would confirm that. I think if you even break that down into a, you know, smaller chunks of a season, the way we've performed... In you know the last you know twelve league games, our results are incredible. The margins by which we were in games is incredible. I think only two. There's only been a two goal margin in two of the last ten or twelve games, which is just incredible. Every other game we've scored at least three goals. It's. I think we are becoming quite comfortable. And I think to go back to your question, every player, I think has grown up and been coached to in a way that game state is important. And if you're winning games, you then act differently, yeah. act according to the circumstances. And the idea that Ange in 18 months would be able to get everyone to throw out their pre-existing notions. If if this Celtic team are one nothing up in the game on the 8th of April, Joe Hart might go and grab the ball in the 89th minute. Joe Hart might go and get the ball and he might kick it out really quickly. I reckon there's easily four, five, six players in that team that are thinking, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go and we'll attack, but they'll, they'll be thinking differently to the way they did in the first minute of the game. I just think that's something that if Angie's able to get them to bin everything they've ever done, I just, I would be astounded. Yeah. I think players do, they buy into it. It's not about not believing the manager, because I think it does work, but I think in a lot of ways, players will, there's almost a there's an internal dialogue they have with themselves and and when you're three nothing up in a game so I've used that example there when it's one nothing up against Rangers and a minute to go see when you're four nothing up in a game and there's a minute to go I think that's where Andrew's been very clever and cute with substitutions because he brings players on who then want to Freshness. impress yeah. and do, and make that impact maybe takes off the guys who knows that you know they've had a good 60 minutes that have impressed so I think there's a bit of both there and I think there's a little bit of kidology between everyone and believing that at four nothing you need to go and press the game and attack the game Ange wants he wants everybody to be seen to be doing the right things I think with professionals that have played that much football and know the circumstances of it probably know that not to say take your foot off the gas but 
you don't need to press in the same way you do in the first 10 minutes and whether Ange shouts at you or not, as long as you're seen to be doing the right things, I think it's okay. So I think there's a wee bit of ideology maybe in that kind of philosophy in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, Christian, you want to come in? Yeah, and I think I have little things as well, Christopher. Um, but I think some of the listener questions, we can really dive into it because I think there is specifically out of position, Celtic defensively, where things in the Champions League saw that you know there were some issues there. And I think a lot of them it's difficult to do much about with Celtic's dominance domestically, but we can get into that. I think when you talk about the lap, you know, specific lapses in games and so on, again, within the context of this might be Celtic's best season points-wise and goal scored wise <laughs> ever, I also think like, I think is a testament to how good this system is. And this system was almost good from the start. If you look at the first season, the squad there was, the, the, the way a lot of players didn't really fit the system. But Ansh's belief in the system and how it works got Celtic really good result this season as well. That's just continued this season. But I, I still, weirdly, I still think there's an element of this team where you have a lot of players who are not a natural fit for the system, right? And, and it's the good players to have really good extreme qualities, but they're not, you know, in, in terms, you can, you can squeeze a lot out of this system. I think this system is still weirdly, the team is better than in some of its parts, even how good the parts are. So I think that there's an, we talked about you know, on the, the launch club today about this kind of second generation of Ange's team and how he wants to develop it. I think there's a lot of things he can still develop player type wise. And I think he's slowly doing that. So I think a lot of it, when we, for me, when it kind of doesn't work for Celtic in some games offensively, I think one is like you have a very, very high threshold and a bar you're judging against. But also, I think there is an element of some players not being great fits in the system, but the system is so good. And there's other players who are so good in the system that Celtic just becomes too much domestically for teams. Um, Alan, sorry, do you want to come in? I always have to follow that up with who are the players that were that, were, that, that don't fit. But do you want to hold this now? <laughs> well, there's, there's eleven starters, so let's uh, no. Let's, I, let's I think the ones that don't fit. I, I think if if you're talking about an ideal version of of Archibald, I think the goalkeeper. I think a lot of the qualities that the centre backs don't have, I think it's an issue. I think there is. Both centre backs. Both centre backs. Both centre backs. I think there are players like, I think Ralston when he was in was not. Let's stick with the first, let's stick with the starters. Okay. I think Anthony Johnston. Anthony Johnson, I don't know again. I've played here. Alistair Johnston. That's a Freudian slip there, I think. That's a weird Freudian slip. (laughs) (laughs) It's getting there, but he's something he needs to be developed with it. I think there's a couple of midfielders who have qualities, David Turnbull and Aaron Moy specifically, that contribute, but they're still a perfect fit. Italy Alabada is another one. Um, I think Georgia Jack Maxis was one. So I think a lot of those players are very good players, have contributed a lot. But if you're talking about an idealized version, the perfect game, I don't think there are, you know, a superb fit for the system and what is needed like on and off the ball the whole time, especially in Europe. And, you know, we're talking about, um, just to pick up on that, <clears throat> we're talking about um, 
we're picking points that you know we're being very critical. We're still talking about almost a perfect season. Yeah, yeah, well, right. yeah, exactly. And I, I, ju- I just have to ask: are, are you ever going to get the perfect squad? Is there a perfect squad out there? Like genuinely, like is there? Probably not. A, no. Yeah, you know, I think you probably have. If you have a squad, you'll have. You, you, like you this, probably got. You need to get up to like Manchester City levels of resources and and knowledge and, and stuff like that. To does, close to that. I mean, there's certain players in the Man City squad that don't necessarily fit. You know what what they're trying to do as well, and 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 that's the thing. I think it's. I just don't. I think you strive for it. You strive for it. I just don't think you're going to get it. And I think that's okay to still bring it up as well. I mean, that's just how it works. Alan? Yeah, I, th- I think, to be honest, I think I, I agree with a lot. I think goalkeeper, I think two centre-backs is being a, a bit unkind. I think if you were to... Three, then, improve, if you can think like Welsh. Oh, you can say three. Four with gents. Le- leaving so. Kobe Ashie is the only defender. I, 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 let, let, let him play by himself. Very on brand there. <laughs> That's, that's good. Um, I think a goalkeeper, I think one centre-back. Um, Which I, th- I think I think you can leave the jury out on Arsler Johnson, to be fair, because he is very young into it and he's been very impressive. I think Starfield, I, th- I think I think if you could improve there. But that's that's not just about... But, uh, what... so, but let me pick up on that, Alan, because we're not even talking about defensive qualities, we're talking about qualities on the ball. And, and centre-backs being press-resistant. And being able to handle that pressure in a European game. I would say Carl Southwood is better on the ball than CCB. I think CCB has more issues on the ball than Carl Southwood. I'm not happy with Carl Southwood either. So you have a, a, a centre-back like CCB who's, who's hugely impressive defensively. But it's, I think he needs you need something else in there to elevate it, to, to have someone that's more press-resistant in, in, in that sense. So CCB is probably a better defender, yes. but can I ask a question? Did you need? Is he good enough on the ball in in Europe? Uh, uh, let me ask you a question on that. So you, you know you have to kind of you know weigh everything up, and you have to kind of look at long term strategy, and you have to look at what is our bread and butter. So our bread and butter is the Scottish Premiership, right? And those two guys, those two centre halves, are probably the two best centre halves in the, the whole league, right? Yeah, whether whether I'd they say so. whether they fit the system and stuff, absolutely. You talk about the Champions League. I'm sound like I'm cutting a promo. You talk about the Champions League. Um, you talk about the as WrestleMania weekend. You talk about the Champions League, right? And realistically, what you're really looking at on a, on a, if, we're, if we're to be honest and realistic and strip it all down, you're looking to probably hopefully qualify for the Europa League if you get into the Champions League, because to get into that second spot and to usurp the kind of you know second seed realistically is is going to be really hard. I'm not saying we can't do it and I'm not sure sh- I'm not I'm not saying we shouldn't be aspirational to that. But it's probably hard. So then you say could CCV and Starfelt work together in the Europa League? And I think they probably could. I don't I don't think there's a difference really in what you need to do in the Europa League and the Champions League. Do, do you not? Do you not do you, I, I think it's, I mean com- compared to to compare to what you need to do domestically to to weigh up there, it's it's, it's okay, Europa but, League is much close to the Champions League, I think. No, but no, it's, no, it's, I, I, it's no, the same no, issues. I, I get, I know, I, I get that. I absolutely get that. 
I get that the Scottish League is very different, but I just think the idea of, look, we're not going to get Champions League level quality players. We're, we're, I mean, we're, we're just not, unless we... No, but you're, in, but you're talking about players who are better fit, right? To, to optimise the system. Yeah. Right, so it's, I don't think there's... That's like saying, like, you you can either have a really good shot stopper or somebody's really good on the ball. It doesn't have well, to be. Right. When I hear better fit here, though, what I'm, think, what I'm hearing is there'll be... Technically proficient, however, defensively they will not be very good. Because there, there is always that way. There is always that balance, and that's what we have to. That's what we are kind of working with just now. And I, I, sorry, I just, I just, I don't accept that dilemma. I, that's, you, you can have somebody who's 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 both, right? Is is and you're not even talking about better player. His name is Eimerick Laporte, for example, and he costs about seventy million euros. So, no, I, th- I think I, that's I, the issue. I don't, I don't, I, I don't think you need to have one or the other. I think you can just get a centre back that's better on the ball, and I think you're starting from a pretty low bar in terms of the limitations CCV and Starfield both have on the ball. And it's I, not even a dribbling out or hold of it passes. It's it's coping on the pressure and it's having that confidence and playing the ball quickly. And I think. To be honest, this is oh, we've been here before. Like, see, look at the derbies last season. Look at it, you know, in Europa League. This is where we've always sit and talked about this. You know, you can bring your heart into that as well, but that is the element where it needs to be improved. It's against the better teams, the ones that pressure you harder, and it has a lot to do with the centre backs. So, and I don't think you have to choose one or the other. I think you can just get centre backs who are better on the ball. What What I would say on that is it's. And I can see what Alan's point is, and it's maybe one I'm going to raise as well, is that we want that? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I thought James was going to be that. No, he was never going to be that. But, right, just, just pick somebody better. James was not a very good centre-back. No, no, no. no. And I, I, we could have told you that. It's, okay. it's just, you, yeah, okay. those players are out there. You just have to go and get them. <laughs> you know, it, it, that's hard, right? But it, it, it's possible. But, but I mean, that, that's the point. Celtic should just go and get them then. And I'm, by the way, I'm not being facetious. Mm-hmm. But I'm not being facetious when I say that. I just mean Celtic should just go and get them then, because either yeah, either someone like either someone like Kobayashi is going to be the answer to all our prayers, and, and specifically Keenan Devlin, um, or he's just not going to be. He's either going to be too raw, or he's not going to be ready, or whatever. But I guess we just need to fucking play him, Alan. Yeah. No, I, I think just that point on, for example, Kobayashi is that. Because he hasn't come in and immediately usurped either CCV or Karastafelt doesn't mean that he won't. And I think if there is a crumb in what Christian is saying about you can have both, it's that they're not going to walk in the door at Lennox Town the first day and actually turn out to be better than both and a half. So I just don't think, I think the idea that we can sign a player of that calibre with is just unlikely. So you might have to develop them. Then that becomes a job of the coaches. I like the idea that you can just go out and get that, and you know maybe the new guy that I absolutely slaughtered on the weekly, um, something Hamill, <laughs> yeah, I forget but... his, his um, first name. Maybe he he is that person that can go out and find those players. It's fine those players being out there. It's about having the connections. It's about having the wherewithal to go out and recruit that player before a lot of other good clubs do. And there is a there's a window of opportunity that we can offer players here that you can say like, instead of going to a, a, a top tier Premier League team, come here, cut your teeth for two years and then go and do that. That's fine. They're really still hard to get though. You're competing with clubs all over Europe. So 
I, I get the idea that go out and get a, a player that's as good defensively as CCV and he's better on the ball. Uh, that's a really great idea. If you're going out short for a player like that, can I give you a couple I, other things to grab me as well while you're out there? Because I, I, I love it. I, I just don't think it's the unicorn a lot of people make it out to be. I, I think people, maybe they just, CCV's capabilities on the ball is highly, highly limited. He is technically not very good at all. So if you like CCV on all the centre-backs in the Europa League and Champions League and just purely on the ball, he was BM until lowest. So I, I think but he has extreme qualities otherwise. I, I just don't think there's a huge unicorn there that you need to go out and get because you've had them. You know, like you've had people like Chris Van Dijk. Bartle Van Dijk. Van... Christopher Ayer. Christopher Ayer took... About two, Christopher Ayer came in at 60. Cedric Boyata. Cedric Boyata, fuck off. Come on. He's hoisting the was good on the ball. He's good defensively as well. These are better players. He stabbed me with my own knife there. He's trying to get more rounded defenders than Cameron Carter Vickers. That doesn't. And again, we're being very pernickety because Cameron Carter Vickers is a big part of our Celtic is where they are. But if you're looking to improve, if you're looking for that perfect game, it's not good enough on the ball. I think I think Chris Fryer is a really good example of someone that we brought in when he was 16. Uh, we put him out on loan. He did really well on loan and he came back and he was raw when he came back, but he very quickly developed. And that but that was a that was a what three year process. Virgil van Dijk is just one in a million. You just don't pick up Virgil van Dijk's. I probably don't pick them up anymore. Just he was. And, and do you know what? Maybe you could pick him up again. But it, it, that's a kind of a bit of a hail mary you're picking that up I know the, guy, the guy's winning Champions League three years four I, years later do you know what I mean I, I just think it's, Boyata is a good example you can enjoy the, the good size of CCV you don't have to pretend it's not it's something he's not and he's like and you can't you know improve on that side and that, that technical side that press resistance side is crucially important if you want to take the next steps in Europe and if you want to make sure you know, you don't get beaten in, in the derbies as well. Alan's, he, he, Al, Al, Alan's head's going to fall off. Alan, go on. <laughs> I, I don't think it's a case of saying you wouldn't like that or that you don't um, think that that would help. I think it's about having that without being um, negative or not being aspirational. I think it's about accepting that I think what you've got is, is a, a very, very good defender who's actually pretty good at a lot of sides of the game and not, I think, throwing much in the same way as that when we can see the goal, you don't immediately blame, you know, the goalkeeper or if we don't score a goal, you don't blame Kyogo. I think you look at it across the piece. I think one of the issues, and specifically on this issue we're talking about, because we could probably go around in circles, when the centre-halves look uncomfortable on the ball, when they don't sometimes pass out quick enough or they, they're reticent to make a pass that I think people can see, you can criticise him for that. I think on other occasions, and particularly the derby games, you know, you mentioned from last year, there is a tendency sometimes. I think more last year, granted than this year, for the midfielders to not work hard enough to get into those spaces that make that pass just a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more simple. And I think that issue is not resolved because, like Christian, might well be right um, that you at least leave one. Centre half is willing to either step out with the ball or play the ball between lines. 
But I think a lot of the system, this system still works well. If those midfielders get in at those spots, I think the, the centre-halves that we both have at the moment, I think are more than comfortable of playing those passes. Um, if you get to Champions League level, I think it'll be extremely difficult for both. I find it difficult that we might be able to recruit and solve that problem by September the 1st next year. Um Unless oh, Mr. Oh, Hamill is well, I'm, exceptional. I'm, I'm sorry, Kieran, Kieran uh, Devlin is just phoning in. He's saying Kobayashi is the answer. Um, yeah. Somebody should tell Ange. Aye. Um, God, Kieran with that part is hilarious. Um, and by the way, I'm, I'm not writing Kobayashi off either. I think uh, I'd like to see him just play football for us at some point. Um, Christian, do you want to run through some of our stats? Have you got some stats? stats. Do I have stats? What kind of Christian is that? That's like, I, got stats. I mean, um, I think like the kind of exercises we do every time we look at uh, opposition team is obviously we try to put them into context of how their stats compare to, to the rest of the league. And I think it's no surprises that Celtic is pretty much top of everything. You know, we have about six stats for attacking-wise, defensive, possession, pressing. The only one that Celtic is not the best that will have the most out is shots. They actually got slightly less shots than, than Rangers, but they have a higher XG and so on. And position wins and the opposition have their third. Um, but, I mean, they, they're completely dominant in terms of every sort of stat uh, there is. Um, so you almost go, that, that's not even a challenge. So I thought it'd be quite interesting to have a look at the Celtic team this season compared to the Celtic team last season in, in the league so far. Because, you know, we've got a good sample now. And again, like across the board, it's, it's pretty much improvements everywhere. You know, obviously scoring a lot more goals, um, conceding less goal, mm-hmm. creating more XG. Although it's it's not as you know, it's, last season was very much you were creating more XG than you're scoring, so you were creating more chances. We didn't get the goals this season. You're scoring more goals than you creating chances, but I mean. Over the pars, it's you know I think another one out there that last season Celtic was on an instat, you know they scored fourteen point six goals less than the expected goals on average. We say this season they're scoring about seven more, right? So and with that, so over the big enough sample, I think you're kind of seeing that where Celtic maybe getting get the luck, the variance something last season sometimes. They are getting those goals now, and then there will be improvements in the game that comes to that as well. But conceding less chances, um, conceding a little bit less shots, as I said, they're taking half a shot less per game. But the really interesting thing with it is that Celtic's average chance quality is just going up and up and up. You know, if it's really high last season, you know, 0.14 uh, xG per shot this season is. 15 almost getting up to 0.16 and uh, it's, just, it's just kind of simple facts like you can even don't have to do XG or something it's like if you look at two seasons ago and um, the last season on the London the percentage of open play shots that Celtic took inside the box was 58% last year it went up to 67 this year it's up to 68 so Celtic is simply just creating better chances and they're taking the shots inside the box. So it's all kind of, it's nice when that kind of correlates with what we see. You know, this is a team that doesn't take really much putt shots. I, I think Ange is someone who, who wouldn't allow 
you know, crazy shots from everywhere. Just, you know, you know, that famous message Len had to Ryan Christie, just, just have a pop. He's somebody who wants to have a system produces the big chances. We talked about the classic Ange ball goal, like creating those big voltage chances. And yeah, every stat you can look at, every way you look at it, you know, they get into the positions half a little bit more this season. They get into the positions final third a bit more. They get into the penalty box a little bit more compared to last season. They have more passes, which is quite interesting. They have possession a little bit more. They spend a little bit more ball, time on the ball, fewer crosses, a little bit fewer tackles, fewer dribbles. And I think a lot of this is from being so dominant. And as we talked about, I keep repeating as well, this season, Celtic's been facing pretty much since December, constantly a 5-3-2. And your teams that want to avoid getting up, up pumping, essentially, and they sit back and they, not sit back, but they, they, they prioritize defense to such a degree. And probably said this earlier when we talked about those laws in game, Gal, is that TNT systems are not easy to break down. Like five defenders, three midfielders who, who try to run like crazy and two strikers. And some of those tactical setups against Celtic, I think, are, they're not actually not too bad in terms of being uh, by teams of much lesser quality, but uh, Celtic's just, Dominating right now. So essentially, go stats, Celtic good. Very good. Um, we will put, um, Christian's provided some excellent kind of uh, analysis here. We'll put all of these in the Cynic Drive. Um, there should be a link in your uh, email. We sent it to you a couple of weeks ago, so we'll just update that. Um, Alan, anything stands out for you that has impressed you? Uh, what I would say is um, seconds per possession being up. 1.4 seconds holding on to the ball a little bit longer that mean anything? Yeah, it doesn't mate you just got to constantly drive those profits every year <laughs> you've got to up those numbers <laughs> and that's another element of it um, it's, it's not one of the ones that I, I, I take a lot of stock in I think then one of the visuals that people I presume will be able to see um, on, on that graphic is the. it's quite interesting to see our goals and our attempts, the amount that come within the width of the six yard box yeah. is quite remarkable. And I think what it, um I mean it's almost all of them. Like this, yeah, this it's ten, fifteen outside is is ridiculous. And I think what that shows and what you what you see to be honest at, at games, you know, whether you watch at home or, or at the game, players do give up opportunities because they think and I think this is a, a, a almost an inherent thing that, that comes with believing in the system they are quite happy to give up an opportunity to give someone else a better opportunity and that is that I mean, it's a fundamental you know thing in, in any sport it's, it's huge in basketball that that last pass that extra pass to give someone you know to to give it to an open shooter but I think what you see from from Celtic is and this team in particular is you don't see the pot shots. You don't see guys. I'll you know I'll, I'll have a stab at it. That feels like it's long gone, but it's not gone on the basis that well we'll just keep moving it side to side and we'll keep you know pressing it within settings. I mean now you know you mentioned that the amount of time we're in possession there. When we attack, it feels like we're not scared to give up the ball. I think what we are not willing to do is is just have a crack and play for the second ball. 
and that is quite it's really good to see because teams know that you can't you can't then just tempt us into you know have a crack from the the corner of the box. You look at that graph. There's nothing. There's very very little there across however many matches that's from. It is all opportunities within the almost the width exclusively within the width of the six yard box, and that is that that is where you want to be, and that's where players you know. That's where goals are coming from. It's just, it's quite, um, it's quite stark to see. So if you are listening, go and have a look at that. It might even be worth us trying to kind of maybe try and pull something together on previous years to, you know, show a comparison there because there'll be a few outliers in there, I'll bet. Yeah, as as we say, um, it's on the Cynic Drive. Uh, there is a link. If you can't get the link or you don't know what the link is, or just email editor at the and I'll send you the link um, and uh, get you sorted out with it. You might need to put out an explanatory pod on the Cynic Drive, or <laughs> I don't know, just some people. Mate, um, I don't know. I, I don't want to name those people, but um, aye, that would be really helpful. No bother, Alan. <laughs> uh, let, let's um, let's go on to some subscriber questions. Does that sound good, gents? Shall we go on to that? So, um, Liam uh, sends in two questions. I'll read the first one out. Um, the result. Two questions. Listen, Liam constantly sends in good questions, so it's good to give him that option. Really pushing. <laughs> the results in the eye test suggest there is a big gap between the two teams. But expect the points have us much closer. He's talking about Celtic and Rangers. Please, can you suggest why that might be? Have we been luckier than we like to think? Are they better than we give them credit for? Or is Ange that good that he's broken your models? Uh, Christian, I'll start with you. What's your thoughts on that? Um, we better say it's Stephen Russell's model, otherwise he'll he'll, he'll throw a fit. Um, you don't want to make him mad. Um, I think if. Rangers this season is a funny month because they're on course for 96 points if they keep the same rates of points. Celtic won the league on 93 last season, right? So so 96 wins you the league quite a lot of seasons. So, And I think the last point they dropped outside the derby was November as well. So it's it's quite astonishing. You can then you can then talk about, okay, what's, what's the quality of, of the rest of the league? Because I mean, I've, for my sins, I've, I've watched Rangers a lot just because trying to prepare for like the derbies and looking at them and like, I'm overly impressed by them. But there's obviously something within that that, that keeps them grinding out the results as well. But if you talk about, you know, the, he's mentioned that the expected points model is, and he's right, like Celtic is overperforming quite a bit, which kind of means that, you know, they've, Stevens' model has them on 71 expected points and Celtic's got 82 points. So essentially over, over a, normally over a bigger, you know, sample, those would correlate. And you say, okay, uh, if you're really overperforming, and Celtic's overperforming the most in the league in terms of expected points, you kind of go, well, you know, at some point these results will, will start to turn a little bit and then they'll return to the, the level of your goal performance. And I think there's a few elements there. One is obviously, as Stephen would say as well, like no model is is perfect, right? There, there will be blind spots in them. The second one is like Celtic season is almost near perfect. So to talk about even even if you just put Celtic's expected points so far, and if you gave them those points. They're still on course to hit 93, which is one of the league. So, I mean, even expected points wise, this, this is a really good season. But because Celtic season is 
it's essentially so perfect. Like you always have to be over performance there. But if you really break it down like per game, I think I tried to do this on the last beyond the beyond the scoreboard. So it's obviously so Steven Smollett kind of gives you the probability of getting like essentially if, if you get three expected points in a game, it means that you probably have like 40 shots and the opposition has none. And the the, the chance of you not winning is percentage-wise, statistically almost zero. But Celtic is putting up points like 2.5, 2 2.6, 2.7, 2.8%. Point. So you don't have a, a big row of games there where Celtic is doesn't have a lot more expected points than opposition, right? So it's, it's maybe like Hodge away is one, Highbrook's away, yeah, maybe. so. But overall, these kind of old performances is not a long run of unsustainable results that might come to end. It's, it's kind of in a way, statistically tiny overperformances in each game, but they're always more and more than likely to get the points, and that comes back to the style. So, um, and then within that, I think the last element is is yes, there has been games this season where Celtic have kind of s- snatched victories from the Ross, and they've had uh, you know a few late winners, and they have games where they haven't been as good. You know, it's it's, it's quite a few of them, but. Whether it is, and I think it's slightly to do with just random variance, which is nerd speak for luck, but it's also a lot to do with what we come back to that relentlessness of the system and the creation of the chances. So, in the way, I think, yes, the, the gap between the two teams is maybe not as big as that, but I'm still, but in another way, when I look at them, just actually look at the two teams, I do see a gap tactically and, and in terms of. How they're able to to execute things, and um, I don't think you, you get a perfect season like this every time. And the other seasons, yeah, you'll have a draw here and there, and then a bit more. But it's 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 kind of both. I mean, it's Celtics, yeah, a little bit of luck along the way because you need that for a perfect season. But there's also a reason why they're they're almost having a perfect season. Uh, Alan, I'm going to give you the second question, as I think Christian covered that pretty well. Um, what do we need to do tactically to ensure we get the results we need in the two games, two or three games remaining against Rangers, particularly in the context of your response to question one? So just picking up on Christian's points on on that, what do we need to do um, tactically moving forward against Rangers? I, th- I think specifically what you need to be aware of, and Christian will kind of probably maybe have, have an input as well, just in terms of having seen what Rangers do on the bill. I think what you need to be very, very aware of when you're playing Rangers is that you don't get dragged into believing that you're in complete control of the game. Because I think at that point, and maybe your goal hasn't came, you press hard. Rangers are quite happy to go long very, very quickly and play off the second ball. Um, you'll see it, I mean, if, if you know, even at the League Cup final, Rangers do not have a problem getting the ball out to a fullback in an advanced area. That fullback not fancying taking a man on, dropping it back to his centre half, and that centre back sending the ball straight up the park. They might win it, they might not. But what they'll do is, is they'll, they'll ask questions of your shape, they'll ask questions of your discipline. And if you don't, um, if you're not prepared for that, or maybe you kind of don't quite prepare appropriately for that. I think what they'll then do is they'll feed off that. Um, I know that might be, I, I, and I'm not trying to specifically downplay them, 
but I think the system is largely based on that relatively straight ball up the part and then and then playing off the back of that second ball. Um, I think it is. I think it is fairly primitive. Look, they maybe they are trying to change that. They're trying to adapt. They are quite comfortable keeping the ball. But I think if you put them under pressure, they they will default to dropping the ball back one and playing straight. Um, and f- a lot of the times that will cause teams problems because you, it, it, it might sound basic, it might sound primitive, but if they catch you a little bit aggressive in that press and everyone thinks we're going to go and nab the ball here and that ball goes 60 yards in you know, a second, then if you then become man-on-man, if they do manage to trap that ball in, they have beaten your press in the most basic primitive way possible. It doesn't matter how you beat a press. If you do do it and you can bring that ball down, you can bring the ball out there that it can cause you problems. So I think sometimes the worry is if you feel you're in control, I think you can maybe become a little bit engrossed in that and feel like the rest of the game is going to stay this way. It might not be like that. I think it's just about being aware of that, always aware of that straight ball over the top that they can turn very, very quickly on it because their players will be aware that if that ball goes back to Goldson, they will send it up the park and their players will react accordingly and they'll believe that they can go and get that second ball. So I think it's about that defensive shape and that alertness to that, that if you don't win it in the press, that's okay. Just be aware and be prepared to then drop back and everyone knows where they should be and don't give them don't don't give an easy opportunity off a, a pretty straight ball would be my um my concern. That and I think just very quickly one word crosses. They will cross the ball, they will cross it from everywhere in the park. Uh Christian, you wanna kinda add in, anything onto that before we move on? Yeah, no, Alan's right. I think you guys will know this more about me about in terms of the differences between the style of play in these two teams like up the years, but it is you know, putting like a tactical analysis lens on it. It is really stark how different different these two teams are when they come, especially up in, in derby sports in, in, in Europe. It's two completely different ways of playing football. I, I, I would, you know, <laughs> I mentioned saying like that's the thing. They go long so much now. If if you if you're charitable. You can say, okay, that's more like uh, a Red Bull kind of thing. So they go up quickly, and as, as Alan says, that's a way of beating the press because they put a lot. What they do do, they put a lot of men centrally. They only really have the fullbacks that are wide, and they have these four lines of two players: two centre backs, two deeper midfielders, two attack midfielders, two strikers. And the reason why they do that is they're set up to then go direct and go long, and that's so if they can. And what I think they, they want to do in Derby is, is to get Celtic into that rhythm as well. Because they want that chaos. They want that second ball because they're dragging that into like chaos ball in a way. And so I think that's when it's important for Celtic to keep their cool. Especially, <laughs> we had a big discussion there about the centre-backs, but it's those kind of facets of plays where you go, I'm not going to let them pressure us. I'm not going to force them us to go along unless we really have to. And instead, we're going to keep the ball. Because with that press and, and the way they set up, if, you keep com- if you're confident on the ball, there are spaces there, right? There are spaces against them. So uh, those two teams are really, really different teams. Now, people maybe don't see it because they're all, you know, as I said, either team have hardly dropped points since November. And both teams have a lot better players than the rest of the league. But that doesn't mean they're similar teams because they're, they're really not. And I think there's a reconstruct, that 
that that contrast in style you really see in the derbies. I, I think you'll you know it'll be interesting to see how people kind of try and tweak it now. But I think you'll see it again. Yeah, great stuff. Um, thanks for the question, Liam. Uh, really good. Um, question from uh, let me just look. There's some really good questions here. We're probably not going to get through all of them, but we'll do our best. Um, Brian, there's been a lot of talk about a change of formation. What would be the difference in how we play if we reverted to three at the back? And how would that affect the different areas, centre-back and full-back slash wing-back? Alan, let's let's start with yourself. You were, you were kind enough to send these questions out um, before, so uh, that was helpful. And I did think about it. I had a wee look at it. I had a wee think back to what Andrew's done elsewhere. I don't think it would change a great deal. Is the I think is my kind of simple answer. I don't think obviously you would the inverted fullback um novelty would largely be be gone because you wouldn't have a fullback stepping into a central midfield position. But I think the likelihood is what you would still have players coming wide to receive the ball off centre halves. You would maybe have a little bit more license for those centre halves to um, come in and play as almost central midfielders because they would step up, especially the two guys wide. Um, and then potentially what you would have is those guys stepping up and maybe central midfielders, the holding midfielders, dropping into their positions. The same principle that we have with the left back and the central midfielders at the moment. But I don't think you would see a great significant change in a build-up play. Um, I think where it would change it is a, maybe a defensive solidity when we turn the ball over. I think you would maybe see it a little bit there. Um, but I don't think build-up play, I don't think it would change it a great deal. I think you would still see the same things happening. You'd still see central midfielders coming wide and you would maybe see guys swapping positions. The centre-half stepping out of the ball and maybe someone dropping in, even if it's just to exchange possession, just to kind of try and see what teams are doing, try and draw them out a little bit. I don't think you would see a great change. Though I think going forward, you would largely see the same things um, and I don't think it would change a lot in build-up. So I think... If you were making that switch, if that did happen, I think it would be a little bit with a mind on the defensive side of the game. And it's hard to it's hard to ignore the notion that that would be with half an eye in Europe, I think. Yeah. Uh, Christian, your thoughts? Yeah. The, the, I've, I've had to go back and like kind of look at some kind of like tactical overviews of what Ange did with Australia, because that is one point where he, he played three at the back. And if he's going to return to that, you'd, you'd think it'd be something similar. And apparently, say apparently, because it's not like I watched a lot of Australia, but what from what I read, it was more than a, a kind of like a three-two-four-one system. So you had the three centre backs, but they were quite wide in the build-up, right? So not obviously the wide centre backs weren't as wide as full backs, but you still have quite a, a width there. And you know, the goalkeeper was a big part of that. And then in midfield, he would have. Essentially, a box midfield. So you, you'd have two deeper um, midfielders and two number tens, really. So it, it, it's in a way, it's, it's, it sometimes happens now as well. You know, it, at Celtic, so, so when, for example, when Greg Taylor goes inwards beside Cal McGregor, you essentially have a box midfield. You have Cal McGregor and Greg Taylor, and then you have say O'Reilly uh, or Moy or O'Reilly or Hatati, whoever it is, and then kind of maybe in this case. Johnston is, is a bit more further back in the build-up, so you kind of have a 3-4-2. And then, again, apparently still, as now, the wingers, you know, in, in that kind of four behind the striker were 
they were wide and they were high and the striker. So it, in a way, if you, if you kind of squint, right, it's, you would still have a lot of the same formations you have now with, say, Greg Taylor becoming the fourth midfielder. The wingers are high. You have a number nine who's, who's, who stays there. So as Alan says, I think that a lot of these are still the same elements, you know, players moving positions and, you know, creating those kind of overloads and you're putting more players in one space than the opposition. So I think I think the principles, if you go three at the back, will, will very much be the same. It's more that, say, someone like Greg Taylor who arrives in the midfield space, it's more like they're starting in the midfield space and then maybe they go out as well. So, I mean, maybe they, maybe because you know, I just really want them in team, maybe it'd be Greg Taylor starting at central midfield and three in the back. And there we are. And just, uh, just saying, just, just, uh, just putting that out there. So. Yeah. As, I, as I said, and nah, he's, well. just realized, he's just realised he's not going to get in. Nah, 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 nah. Do you know what I quite like the idea of? If Ange comes in next day, first day of pre-season next year and says, right lads, I'm going to do what I did with Australia at the World Cup and you can just imagine Moy going home that night getting the old job not only I mean bring back Tom Roger because him and Moyne played in the same team in that formation as well so. now we're talking now, mm-hmm. now the man's talking sense mm-hmm. yes uh, a question from Paul and I kind of think we've kind of answered it already uh, what area what area well certainly Christian has what area of the pitch would you guys see the biggest need to improve I'm not necessarily talking about personnel but more about improving tactically playing out from the back back line Christian Whole new first 11 for Christian would be ideal, Paul. <laughs> you can sort that, mate. <laughs> Let me tell about somebody called Google B. Ash. Um, <laughs> no, I think, I think it's. Yes, I mean, for me, it's. I, mean, I guess we're kind of getting there. Where, for me, it's, it's the defensive side uh, and what can be, be improved there. Uh, I think, you know, it's. That's just almost a natural consequence of being so dominant domestically is that when you do have to then switch that in Derby's and in Europe, I like it's, it's not easy because, you know, that's kind of why we, you know, we wanted to ask that of Ange in the last press conference we're at as well in terms of how, how, how do you practice these things? You know, how, how do you, when you play against a 5-3-2 in all but four games of the season, how do you practice stopping a team that's really good from playing out from the back. Uh, how, how do you practice that? And obviously it was quite an interesting answer in terms of, you know, they do a lot of work on the training ground. I think somebody like John Kennedy is obviously involved in that, or like the, the tactical setup and stuff like that. But I just don't, I think you're going to naturally be a little bit rusty. I think there's a really good question. I know we're going to dive in because there's a really good question later about, well, if, if Celtic is rusty in these things, should there be should have been trying doing something else in Europe. Um, but I think for me, it's, it's defensively organized. For me, it's also the way Celtic attack, especially because they're so focused down each side. And, you know, they have all of these kind of rotations, which is just a fancy word for changing positions. It's a lot going out on the, you know, maybe not right on the flanks, but like in the half spaces. When you do lose the ball, Sometimes it's quite open in midfield, and you maybe just have Callum McGregor. Or maybe Callum McGregor is out of position. Maybe the centre backs are not far enough off. So it's that kind of what we call like the rest defence. You know, how are you positioned defensively when you attack? And the way Celtic is attacking can leave you open to counter attacks and transitions. Against again, very icky, right? But 
because you, you you're just not exposed. You, like you know, ex- that's not exploited domestically, but in Europe, especially, that's the kind of small details that you want to try and improve. But as I can say, it's really difficult when you don't get to practice it in 34 games of the season in the league. Uh, Alan, we'll, we'll ask you a question um, from Keenan. Uh, he says, you often talk about Celtic being slanted to our left-hand side, uh, something I've noticed too. Why do you think this is, and do you think teams could take advantage of this? I, I like it. A retro question, one that was probably asked in 2019. So I'm when we started doing these, Alan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm trying to remember, trying to remember what non-answer I gave at that time. Um, I think the the left-hand sided bias that we've had is probably. I don't think it's anywhere near as prominent now as it has been. Um, I think we're probably we're a long way away from that time when I could answer it and say, well, Carl McGregor played as a left side of a three, so probably that's the reason. I don't think we're anywhere near that now. Um, I think we are probably as balanced now as we've been for a long time, but there is still a big bias down that left-hand side. I don't think um, it's not uh, it's not unreasonable to say that. And I think I think personnel is a huge, huge part of it. I think um, Greg Taylor has got a great synergy with whoever he plays with down there, whether it be Dyson Maeda or whether it be Jota, and they are both exceptional players. Um, we're defensively sound down that side, so you don't need to worry about that. And I think just down there, not to be unfair, but when you've got Rio Hattati comes in, it looks like he's more natural and adept at playing in that side. It's hard to escape the notion that, I mean, we say it, how many times a week do we say it across different pods? It's Pelmac and Rio plus one. Yeah. And Rio's favoured position is in that left kind of left-hand side space there because he's right-footed. He can step into the ball and he can cut across the ball if he wants to play it down the left. So I think it is. To be honest, I think it's as simple as personnel. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a long-term issue. I think it's just the nature of it. I think it's personnel, and I think Rio Hatati has kind of kept the kind of died embers of it going. But I don't think it's anywhere near as severe as it once was. So I think we can. Um, we can rest easy at night. It's not anywhere near as bad as it was. Christian, your kind of brief, brief thoughts on that? I mean, if, if Alan had been able to just talk a little bit longer, I was doing some 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 stat work just to see <laughs> quickly if, if if Celtic was doing more attacks and or less attacks down the left hand side and and and, and the right hand side. Eh? Cause just um, just press F five, Christian, and I'm refreshing it. Just do that. I'm doing a crunch as fast as I can. Just crunch the numbers again. It is funny, like in terms of ever since we started doing this tactics podcast, that's actually the one thing we've talked about in different system and, different managers. and so on. Different managers, different systems. And I think it's a lot. It has been the, the personnel. It's been a lot about the, the players who play, play in central positions have been predominantly left-footed and, or you know, like Cal McGregor has always been, you know, the left foot in the midfield, throwing things, even going back to like Lennon when a lot of things went down. Christopher Ayer in, in the back four and he, he played on the left. Um, in terms of, you know, the right backs at that time as well, you know, you have Karen Tierney, a bit further back by Karen Tierney compared to Michael Lustig and, and so on. Um, and I think someone like Rogers made it quite deliberately that he would, you have a tactic of essentially, Picating, you know, overloading one side, 
creates a lot of space on the other side. You know, it's, I think it's, you know, particularly in that period, we have Patrick Roberts and James Forrest Celtic would like vacate one side of the pitch and then suddenly switch it. And, and those guys will be in so much space uh, around there. So I, I, think, I think it comes back to, or maybe it's just, you know, they don't like Tories. They don't like the right. It's, it's as easy as that. But, you know. As easy as that. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, our final question before we, we move on to our mini feature that we've got. Um, this is from Chris. If Celtic only press in Europe and against better opposition because, because we have less of the ball, should we? Or should we come up with a better game plan more adhered to our circumstances? This kind of comes into what you were talking about a little bit earlier, uh, Christian. Um, we'll start with yourself, Christian. What's your kind of thoughts? Yeah, it's a great Chris, uh, question, Chris. Is it Chris from the firm one? Maybe it is. But if it's not, that's okay as well. Um, so, so this is something I probably spent way too much time thinking about, right? Because um, it comes back to the things we just talked about. How do you expect Celtic to be maybe as good as they have to be out of possession, like specifically in those circumstances where another a good team tries to play out from the back and they try to move you around and they try to find spaces because we saw in the Champions League that teams managed to do that, right? And I think, you know, <laughs> first half against Real Madrid was probably one of the best ones in that case in terms of sort of demming up, but Leipzig, Shakhtar in, in a lot of ways, they managed to play through, through something. I think Leipzig specifically was kind of like a stark reminder of there's some issues there. It comes up a little bit in the derbies, when Hodge tried to play it out, you can see like it's just a little bit of rustiness, and and you do want it. So you come back to is that to do with just that simple fact? Like pretty much every single, most other teams in the Champions League, unless they have loads and loads of really really good players, they will have an element of having to defend more in their league. You know, and even teams like. We talked about some of the best out of possession teams in the world now, like Manchester City, Arsenal, you know, top of the league, but they still have to defend a lot more. They still have to do those things a lot more in the league. So it's one thing. I, I kind of get a feeling that Ansh is not, he, don't, he doesn't care about that. He doesn't see the importance of it, but I think he is slightly almost Bielsa like in that he's, he see the attacking side and the more he can kind of, not, not, not think about the defensive side, but I think he wants to attack, and he he wants that to be a central pivot, and he wants to win the ball back quickly. And I don't think, like purely speculation, do I think Ashbos totally think about out of possession stuff as much as what he can do on the ball? Absolutely not. I think maybe he's just not that. No, it's not interested, but it's, that isn't his priorities. So you do then wonder. Back to the question. Because it isn't that's a really interesting question because you you, you you do work within these parameters of having so little match practice. So what do you do then? For me, the answer is you probably want to simplify it. Because the way Celtic, unless you can find a way of really drilling the team into, and we'll maybe get onto this about some other systems, but I think you need to simplify it in the way that either you go even more gung ho. So. When we sat in here and looked at the Champions League, I kind of criticised Celtic a bit for being too gung-ho and they were just too attacking. But part of the problem for that was that maybe the top front five 
front six, front seven would press like mad, but then the center backs wouldn't come after. And like, and sometimes you have games like Stephen Welsh and, and Martians in there, and he puts CCB in Champions League, he'll be fine, right? So, but but there's an element of saying simplify it by just going go whole, just go all out on the pressing, or you simplify it by saying simply saying stay back a little bit more, right? See, like kind of Celtic did against Hearts, put Ria Hatati or one of the midfielders on the opposition's steep pivot. Don't put two players at the top when you press. Which Celtics usually do, like say Kyogo and Matt, Matt O'Reilly. Put one of them, I feel, is just on the deep pivot. Sit a little bit further back. Wait for the opposition to come out, and then sit a bit deeper, and then simplify, and and then you can maybe start pressing because then there's, there's less chance. So I think for me, if you can't drill an optimal pressing system, whatever optimal is, if you can't have that practice, I think you simplify it either by going more aggressive or. Be a little bit more passive, at least at the start. Simplify it. Um, Alan, you want to come in? Yeah, I think there's a lot of sense in that. Maybe aside from the, the gratuitous shot at CCV, <laughs> lump them in with Jensen Welsh, which was um, a little bit crude. I, I think I, I, that, that was that's not a compliment to him. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, I th- the, the purpose of sales, I do think CCV has. It's better equipped for that because one thing is he's very, very aggressive in jumping up. And I think almost if you unleash CCV in that kind of going hole system, I think that would suit him quite well, actually. Compliment. <laughs> Just don't get in the wall. <laughs> no, no, no further comment there. Um, I, I think I, I, I do. I think to go back to the original question, I, I think it is fair. Look, I revere coaches, uh, I've got a lot of respect for managers that actually are flexible and will adapt to that. It is, and that's not a shot at the honesty of Ange Postecoglou, which I talked about earlier. I, I find it really enjoyable. It's great to watch. And as a season ticket holder, some of the football I've watched over the last 18 months is as good football I've ever seen Celtic play. However, I think there is a reality and there's a, there's a middle ground, not even a middle ground to be had, there's a compromise to be had between what we do domestically and then playing against top teams um, Real Madrid we were exceptional for 60 minutes and then again you get taken away from us that happens they're a world class side you you know it's six matches in the Champions League Antipostokoglu Celtic Reign won't be defined by you know six Champions League group games but what I think you can do is, is show respect to the opposition and you can try and take away some of their their best weapons uh, obviously Gal you mentioned WrestleMania earlier so that then gives me leeway to mention one NFL coach um, which is Bill Belichick and his one of his central tenets of his coaching philosophy is when he's playing teams as he looks at the um excuse the the, the kind of the giggles that you know they have when I say this here but he, he takes away their biggest weapon and that that's his that's his job because he, and then he says if they beat us with someone else so be it but they won't beat us using their best man and I think that's maybe something you think about um, and Christian obviously says for example you could do that you know for example if you're playing Real Madrid do you plant someone on Modric when you don't have the ball and say I'm just going to try and make it difficult for him to play you can never stop him he's a world class player but can you make it more difficult can you foul him when he does turn you things like that I, I, I'm not against these things I, I, I see it as as much a, a part of the game of football as I do you know moving the ball side to side and being comfortable and playing aggressive it's it's all part of it. So I think there is things we could do and I think there's things we could do to prepare and try and be a little bit more cute and a little bit more aware in these games. But 
that's just that's just a personal opinion. I think that there, there is a lot you can do, and I would if we are playing there against if we do get a tough draw in the Champions League next year, I would like us to go in not quite as wide eyed as we did this year. And I think when Christian says about us being over aggressive, I'm going to take a leap here. Anyone that watched us at home against Leipzig this year, probably one of the worst performances we've put in, and it was we were we had players running everywhere doing everything. It's a performance that Ryan Christie could have, a safety team Ryan Christie could have played in, in terms of there was no control to it. There was energy everywhere all over the park, no control, and we just get picked off. And it was, it was the most disheartening of results yeah. because we just weren't there. And I think that's what you need to avoid. Getting beat by Real Madrid home and away, whether you play well or play badly, can happen. But see if we're going to make progress against teams like that who are good, good sides you need to do better and you need to not make it easy for them. That was the performance for me this year that was the most frustrating of them because we get outplayed against a team that are good. But see if you want to make progress, that's the kind of team you need to target. Big wins against Real Madrid would be great. But see if we can beat the pot two teams, we'll stand a much better chance of qualifying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any kind of final points uh, before we move on to looking at the our, our, our team focus this week? All good. Great stuff. Um, so call it a draw. Call it a draw. Call it a draw. Uh, what we thought we'd do this uh, for this episode, and if it's a big uh, success, we might do it moving forward, is just have a bit of a uh, club focus outside of, uh, obviously, Celtic. So this episode, we've decided to look at Rio Vallecano. Um, Rio Vallecano um, from, uh, obviously, Spanish team. They're in La Liga. They're currently uh, lying eighth in La Liga. Last season, they finished 12th. They are managed by Andoni uh, Ariola, who used to play for uh, Atletico Bilbao. I think he was a fullback. I think he was a right back. Mm-hmm. Um, a good player. Um, just like Ange Postacoglu. Just like Ange Postacoglu. It turns out he is. And also Alan Edgar, to a lesser extent. To a slightly lesser extent. There's a dinner party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they're currently eighth in La Liga. Um, they've uh, they defeated Real Madrid this season. They've drawn with Barcelona, um, and we just thought we'd have a kind of look at them and, and how they play and, and you know stylistically what what they're doing. Christian, we'll start with you. Do you want to open the gambit about what you've kind of looked at and saw from Real Vallecano? Yes, yeah, so, Vallecano is it's probably like one of the like one of the hipster teams. To be honest, like. Ariola as, as well is kind of one of the kind of hipster darlings. And, and I think a lot to do with that is, again, with this kind of like out of possession kind of stuff. But yeah, this is a lot of kind of, it's like, they've never won the league. They've never won the Copa del Rey. Like they're like a real yo-yo team. Like I think they were in the third year in early 2000s. I think their highest their position is eighth. And they're eighth now. So it's, it's obviously... You know, and also didn't actually know this, but it's a very, very left-wing club uh, in in Madrid, which we like. Yeah. Um, so, so essentially, I, I think that's so. I think he is somebody who's who's kind of making waves because he's he's got this team with limited resources playing really, you know, effectively, uh, especially out of possession, but also also so in possession. So that's kind of I think it's always interesting to to look at those kind of teams because he there's somebody who's who doesn't have the budget of an Arsenal in Manchester City but he, I think he's trying to create a lot of the same things especially off the ball for that so uh, I think that's kind of what I wanted to have a little deep dive 
into them as well because I, I think he is somebody you will see coming to a lot bigger club to be perfectly honest with you really soon uh, Alan we, we, we can attach you with having a, a looking at them what have, you, what have you found out about them yeah I, th- I think they are interesting people maybe have heard the name Iriola um, really um, I think it obviously was linked with Leeds yeah. and I think um, Christian had, had mentioned he was going to look at them out of possession so I just did look at them how they set up how they build up how they try and attack and um, it, it is fascinating it, the, the simplicity of it is incredible the his football and philosophy um, really is based entirely on trusting his players to create an overload and then from that point he trusts his players to make decisions in those areas he wants to create two on ones three on twos and he doesn't really care where it happens on the pitch but he wants it to happen out wide which is an area of the park that I think particularly modern coaches and a lot of tacticians disregard because mm-hmm. it's you know it's, um, not to dumb it down, but it, it's really far away from the goal, um, and it's a reason Celtic don't shoot from those areas. But he is quite happy because if you can create overloads in those areas, and he trusts players to be able to get into into areas where they can create, and look, there is a there's a big downside to this. They don't create anywhere near enough chances. Um, they are relatively low scorers. They've been propped up a little bit by good set pieces, but they are fascinating to watch. And one of the kind of key key things that they seem to do is is they take creative attacking players who've played number 10 the whole career and he plays them in that area. And then as soon as they pick up the ball, he asks those guys to go and find space out wide. Not dissimilar to how we do with Rio Hitati and Naren Moya, Matt O'Reilly, but he just asks his players to do 20 yards up the park and they entirely avoid the number 10 position. Um, I've seen a a really good heat map earlier um, and they just avoid that central area outside the box where people think it's a prime position for a number 10, the player that unpicks, they just avoid it. They just move the ball out wide. And the reason they do it seems to be that they allow teams to pack out that area and then just try and work down the sides and go through another route. It's just the simplicity of it is exceptional, but they're so patient. They will move the ball side to side for such a, as Christian said, a team in a small budget with inferior players largely to a lot of their teams. They will hold on to the ball. They'll move it side to side and they'll wait for an overload. And as soon as they get the overload, then they'll deliver the ball. They'll try and score. They'll try and put the ball in the box and then they'll try and pick it up. But it's, it, it is quite fascinating. Uh, I, I'll be honest, when the notion of looking at Rayo Vallecano was suggested, uh, I don't know how I felt about it, but it is fascinating. It's the simplicity of trying to create overloads in any area of the park, as long as it's not right in that number 10 area. That That's what they want to do. It's I, I really enjoyed watching some of their stuff, and they are um, fascinating, but very frustrating because they don't score a lot of goals because they put a lot of crosses in the box and they create really good areas, maybe toothless, maybe a little bit of the word. If he had top quality players like some of the other teams in the Premier League though I'm sure they would do a lot better so I think there's more to come from uh, Uh 31 goals they've scored they've conceded 30 so that kind of plays out to what you're saying um, Christian out out of possession uh, we tasked you with that what's your thoughts yeah. I mean first of all I don't know if I can continue because all I can see now is, is Alan Edgar in that um, still a game meme where they look at something and they go oh that's that's Oh, that's that's actually quite good. That um, <laughs> <laughs> I did see all of you that. Um, um, 
So, so, like, but just like quickly, like out, like in the possession stuff, and what Alan was saying there, it's like it kind of got me thinking that we t- touched upon it earlier. I think Celtic is a little bit like that in terms of even with all their invertedness, because you think about Celtic, it's like, oh, the fullback is coming in. But a lot of that is to create movement. Maybe not quite right that wide, but essentially, like, tight, I was going to use the phrase the half spaces, you know, just out wide, but also in those spaces, because I think while Celtic, and we talked about this earlier as well, finished their chances bang in the middle of the penalty box, the way they get there, and the kind of where the attacking face, the, the last part of the attacking face is starting. So it's not quite that wide. I, I don't really, really see Celtic being a team that like goes through one, two, three lines straight down the middle. It is often about creating that space like slightly wide, getting into a position where, where you can find players in the middle. So I think, as Alan says, it's, it's a lot. Like so you talked about, you know, Leipzig and Rangers, who's just like so attack-minded centrally, because a lot of people centrally, you know, Throws crosses in whereas Celtic is a lot to do with like spreading out and then kind of pulling the position apart and then finding spaces centrally. But yeah, out the possession stuff is kind of like the big thing, I guess, Valacano as well. And I think it's kind of then we talked a lot about, you know, different pressing systems in, in football. And then like, and I'm, you know, a guy like John McKenzie talked a lot about this. Who, uh, I talked to John a lot about John. And others, and I think if you kind of distill this, you kind of look at pressing systems in football. It's like you have the sonal system where you like, it's the space that orientates your pressing, right? It's, it's about retaining a structure and it's stopping an opponent from getting close to your goal, like create as little space as possible. And that's, you don't really disrupting the opponent much, but you let the opponent come at you, but you're hard to, you're hard to break down. But in a way, you're easy to, to manage. You know, you, you're not putting in a position a lot of pressure. And the other side of that is more like the, the man marking or the player orientated. So the, the, the pressing is based on where the opposition is and you're trying to disrupt them. And like you, you might start out a little passive, but it's all about this is where the, the notion of traps comes in, right? You know, pressing traps. You try to move the opponent into traps, into an area where you've got everybody covered, you know, and it's, but the notion then because you let the opponents define where you're pressing away. There's less structure, right? So it's you disrupt opposition, but it comes with a lot of risk. So you have one sonal system that's you have a good structure, but you're not disrupting. And you have the other side of that is like you have a system that tries to disrupt, but this comes with risk. So so I, I guess there's an idea that was Ariola kind of defines as one of the leading us is this kind of what they call like a hybrid press. And it's it's, it's essentially just why don't you try to combine the best of both of those? That so you, you develop a system which kind of allows that Sono and the player to kind of coexist. My City tried to do this. Arsenal do it really well. And Valicano is, is another example. I think it's a bit more interesting because they, you know, they have a less budget. And the other way is, it's talked about the opposite to Celtic, is that they get a lot of time to, to practice this, you know, to, to refine it. And so I think that's really interesting. But so it's that, and, and that's what, Kind of tried to do as well. And in this kind of pressing system, you often have, you do go very much man against man, except for two areas. You know, you usually have the center back area where you have two against one. And that means in this kind of system, there's, there's one player that has to have dual roles. 
right? Because he's essentially covering two players. So you can call them a hybrid player. So, and that player allows you to move between a sonal and a player oriented structure, essentially. Um, and in kind of Arsenal do this in, in, in certain ways. But, and, you know, I've been watching kind of like videos in, in Velikana, and the way they do it is that they start out in, in a 4 2 like, and Celtic do this as well, you know, when they press and they have it. And essentially, if their kind of hybrid player is the right winger, so the right winger has the obligation to look after both the opposition's left back, but also the left midfielder. So, for example, if, if a team press outs against Valicano, goes to the right, one of those two at the top jump on the centre-back, one of the two deep midfielders jump on the deep pivot, and then the right winger jump inside. So in, in a system like Celtic, we have to replicate this. Say the ball goes to the centre-back, Ria Hatati jumps up on the centre-back, Aaron Moyer, Cal McGregor jumps up on the, ne- on the pivot, and then someone like Jota would jump in and cover the, the, the midfielder that's there. And in Arsenal, they do slightly different. It's like the left back does it. And it, but it's all about having this kind of system where you combined man to man and sonal and you do it through like this one player and you do all these kind of different jumps. And this is what I think is really difficult. And this is when we talked about Celtic, how can they? How can they try and adopt the system? Because it is really, you have a system here that's kind of not the holy grail, but you have a system that tries to combine the both of two different systems. And they do that by having players doing all these kind of jumps. So one player jumps, the next player jumps another one, the next player jumps on that one. They leave one player free, but that is the opposition left back. And then if the ball goes over, you reverse the jumps as well. So it's very coordinated. It's very like, Moving in tandem, so that's that's so, so you can sit and it's, it's quite fascinating to sit and kind of watch that and, and see how they work because it's obviously so structured, it's so drilled, it's such a clear tactical plan, and you kind of go, oh, Celtic should be doing this, but it comes back to Chris's maybe from the Don Fermo's question in terms of that is really difficult to do, and you go back to uh, where you'd love Celtic to do something that's like this out of possession because it is, you know, it is very effective if you can get it right. But for Celtic and against, you probably just want something a bit more simple. Maybe you just go man to man. You sit back a little bit more, and you just you don't try to do these elaborate jumps where people jump. If he goes, I jump that one. I go take that one. So, but it's a big part of kind of Valicano's success that they don't have the great squad, but they're out of possession. Pressing and that, but it's so effective when it's done right. It comes with risk, yeah. But but that's you know an example of a team taking something, working on it, almost perfecting it, and then seeing the results of it, like comparable to their, their actual budget. Yeah, I love a strip. It's really good. Cool. It's, it's based on the River Plate. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. So, um, <laughs> River Plate. You wait to say that for about ten minutes. Then, <laughs> I took you a couple of ten minutes to go. Yeah. Uh, River Plate, who are the bad guys, of course. Um, but um, in regards to Ariola, um, um, Alan, sorry, it doesn't seem like he's been linked with a lot of jobs. Can you see him maybe going to the top of the game? No disrespect to Rayo Balacano, of course. Well, I mean, I don't think any Vallecano fans are listening, so I think you'll be okay, mate. It looks he's spot, I think, 40 
Um, he's got one of the most um, dynamic teams in La Liga. There's, you might look at the league table and think, well, there's no great shakes there, but their budget is, I think, their bottom three budget. Um, they only come up from the second division. So he, he's, he's probably entering the last two or three months. I think he's actually at a contract in the summer as well. So I, I think largely, um, I think someone will take him. And it's just a case of who, because you've seen there is a there's a tendency for English Premier League clubs to go for an interesting coach now, which you might think is good. He's got to pick wisely, he's got to pick right. Um and I hope he does, whether it is the Premier League, it might even be another European league, maybe another Spanish team, but he does look like he's kinda he's shown there that he's got a lot of interest and ideas and he's able to deliver them and he's able to work with, I think, just maybe like very, very quickly. He's worked with the same group of players for quite some time and he's continuing to get a lot out of them in that time. They've spent a little bit of money because I think Falcao even plays there, but he doesn't really play. He's obviously able to work with players and he's quite happy to work with a team. And Christian mentioned um, Marcelo Bielsa earlier. And I think it's that you have your guys and as long as they're willing to do what you want them to do, you can trust them. And I think it always seems to have that kind of perspective as well so he will get a move it's just it'll be interesting to see where it is um, so he's, he's a name I think we'll hear a lot more of certainly great stuff um, yeah I, th- I think that's us any final points Christian on uh, Rio Vallecano do, do you think he likes Glasgow do, do you think he which you know he'll get time I just talking about five years time and yeah, of course he absolutely will not get time <laughs> I mean he's got he's got he's got half Half of a great surname, um, so he'll be he'll be popular in Glasgow to some extent. But I don't know how he need to get off to a better start than the current guy. Yeah, big Ola, a very popular name in Glasgow. Um, <laughs> lo- lovely stuff. Uh, listen, this has been beyond the scoreboard. Uh, you know the kind of club focus we, we might do moving forward. Um, but I, I had a great kind of I, I looked at some real Valicano uh, stuff today as well, and I really enjoyed it. So really great um, in depth look at them. But um, we'll be back very soon. Alan Edgar, a pleasure as always, sir. I enjoyed it. Thanks very much. We'll speak to you all soon. Speak to you very soon, uh, Christian Wolf. As always, a pleasure. It's, it's pleasure to all mine. I'm going to miss not having two podcasts with you every day now. Exactly. Uh, listen, Alan, Christian, I'm Chris Gallagher. This has been Beyond the Scoreboard, and we'll speak to you down the road. <laughs>